This is our last uh, message from the book of Jude. Now, don't hold your applause. Um, it's been long, uh, 25 verses, seven messages later. But um, what, a, what a message to end uh, this little book. Now, now, there's a doxology or benediction at the end. Unto him who is able to keep you from falling, to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with rejoicing. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power both now and forevermore. I think based on what Jan just talked about and, and, and the things that we're talking about, the fact of the matter is, ladies and gentlemen, if, if it hadn't been for God doing what he did to change lives, we wouldn't be sitting here rejoicing this morning. So to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forevermore. It's about Him. Uh, I have, um, I'm going to shorten this a little. I know y'all looking at his watch and going, oh, no. Uh, but you know what? Oh, no, may turn into a, oh, yeah. There's a song that we used to sing when I was young. I don't, haven't, I don't hear it that much anymore, but it's quite a, quite a song. Uh, and here's how it goes. I'm not going to sing it. Rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Snatch them in pity from sin in the grave. Weep or the erring one, lift up the fallen. Tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. I think maybe Jude, verses 20 and 22 and 23 were probably written, that this song was probably written because of these verses. Look at it with me if you would. On some, now you remember we've just come out of uh, 20 and 21, talking about building ourselves up, praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping ourselves in the love of God, looking forward to the second coming. And then he moves right into, uh, I think, three groups of people that he's talking about. What, what a way to end uh, a little letter as he's been dealing with this, this matter of apostasy, this, this falling away. Now, keep in mind as we go through, I, I believe there are two types of apostasy. There is outright apostasy, which is someone who has embraced the tenets, taught the, the, the doctrines of the Bible, and yet walked away from that. I don't believe those people were ever saved, Okay. But there is what I call a spiritual apostasy when we get so caught up in our sin, when we get so caught up in some little sin, and it grows and grows and grows and grows, till we are really shut, feel like we're shut off from being able to communicate with God. Our sins have separated us so from God that spiritually we have apostatized as well. I'm talking about people who have been saved. There are people maybe sitting here this morning, you're so far away from God that you can possibly be, and yet sometime, somewhere in your life, you made a, a legitimate, heart-renting, repenting decision to start following Jesus. Okay, you, you cried out to Him, you called to Him in repentance and faith, and He saved you, and yet you're in a condition right now where you just get up every morning, you don't know whether you're saved or not. We talked last week about how we keep that from happening when we, uh, when we build ourselves up in our most holy faith, when we pray in the Holy Spirit, when we keep ourselves in the love of God, when we are looking for and longing for the second coming of Jesus. 
So, so he says, here's what he says. On some have compassion. On others, um, save with fear while pulling them out of the fire. Now, now notice, I left a word out here. Let me back up. On some have compassion using discernment. Okay, using discernment. On some, you got to get a hold of them and you got to snatch them out of the fire. And then I think here's the third group. Hating the garments of those who have been stained by the flesh. Now, now we'll look at that here in just a minute. But as you read the New Testament, you will begin to discover, I think you will find out that the New Testament kind of makes a distinction between the true apostates and those who are following their teaching. Okay? We, we, we are to build ourselves up on our most holy faith because, you know what, some really good logical teaching may come along. And if we're not grounded in the Word of God, we'll think, that's right. How many times have you ever gotten just caught up and thrilled over something somebody said, and all of a sudden, the more you got to thinking about it, you went, man, that's not even biblical. Sounds good. Sounds logical, but the fact of the matter is it's not. There's nothing sound about it at all. It's not doctrine at all. It's not taught in the Bible at all. And so there is this distinguishing, I think, in the New Testament between those who teach apostasy and those who follow it. In um, the book of 2 John in verse 10, the instruction that the apostle gives, um, to, gives us to those who are the teachers of apostasy, he says, If there come any among you and bring not this doctrine... If anybody walks in this pulpit, if anybody walks in a church that you're in and doesn't stand and say, thus saith the Lord, or it is written, or the Bible says, then John says, here's what we're to do. Don't receive him into your house. Don't bid him Godspeed. Don't participate in that whatsoever. Because if you do, if you do, in a sense, you are approving what they're teaching. Read Romans chapter 1. And, and, and you read about the gross sins there in the book of Romans. And yet, Paul says to, those, to that church, he says, there are those who participate in that, and there are those who literally approve of that. Well, it's okay. Let, let's live and let live. Let's don't be too controversial. Let's don't get too caught up. And somebody may, somebody may get mad at us. I promise you this right here. And I said this on Wednesday night. If you believe the Bible is God's Word, and if you present it with conviction as God's Word and the truth of God, you're not going to make everybody happy. This, this gospel is not all about feel good and make you feel good. As a matter of fact, a good gospel message ought to put you in the floor. And when you come in here zippity-doo-dah, you're crawling out on your knees because the gospel just got a hold of you and give you a good whipping. So there is this difference. If they come to you, if they teach this right here, don't bid them Godspeed. But what about the follower? Well, when he says here, he says, listen, snatching them from the flame. I don't believe he's talking about snatching them from hell fire. 
But there is in the Bible, and we don't go to all of it today, but there is this, this idea of, of being snatched from the fire of judgment. Okay, the judgment that God places on us to get our attention when we go wayward. So, what about the person? What about the person that's been duped? What do we do with them? What do we do with these people who have been caught by ignorance? And I use that word not, not as um, a word to call people ignorant, but the fact of the matter is, is that if we claim to know God and we don't know His Word, we are ignorant of His Word. You remember a time when Paul was speaking to a church and he said to them, what you did, you did in ignorance. What you followed, when you, when you followed after these other gods, you did that in ignorance. But now you know the truth. So stop doing that. You can't go back to that. Don't do that. They're caught by ignorance. They don't know the Word of God. They don't know the teaching of Jesus Christ, the doctrine of the apostles that we build our faith on. Some false teacher comes along. And begins teaching something that's contrary to the Word of God. It may sound great. Hey, and I'm going to tell you all something. Let me just, let's just get real here for a minute. Most of the time, it's in the name of tolerance. Most of the time, it's in the name of, you know what? It's not that bad. That's what they believe right now. But, uh, but, but you know, you can't. They're, they're on this journey. They're on this process. That's just the way God made them. And so what we do, what's happened in, in churches, and I think what's happened across America is this. Because we're so afraid that we're going to be called names or we're going to be labeled, when somebody comes along with some kind of false teaching that basically says, listen, God embraces all lifestyle. Love is love. And God embraces that. So, you know what, if we love, it doesn't matter what relationship that, that's in. As long as we're loving, then that's of God. That's a lie. That's a lie, but what happens is we make it sound so compelling that even our Supreme Court will vote to make things legal that the Bible says is an abomination. All of a sudden, we have bought into this mentality that it's your body. And you can do with your body whatever you want to do. The fact of the matter is, if you're a believer in Christ, that is not true. Because the Bible says you have been bought with a price. You are not your own. That ain't your body anymore. And the church has embraced this false teaching. And here's what happens. They, we start out by approving it. Well, it's not me. It's them. And as long as it's not hurting anybody then you know what, we, we can tolerate it. And the church has tolerated that. We have, we, have what, we, have, we have approved that. But secondly, what happens is, after we approve it for a certain period of time, we begin to applaud it. Man, well, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, well, you know what, they are, they are walking in the way and the path that God has given them to walk. And what they, they are making their decisions, they are making their conscious decisions based on what they believe or what they want to believe that the Bible says. And so we have, as a nation in our churches, we have applauded sin. But I'm going to tell you something that leads to something else. 
It leads to acceptance. Acceptance. We approve it. Eh, you know. And then all of a sudden we applaud it. The champion, the, the champion for all these rights. And, and, and before you know it, we have approved it. These people are weak. There's the weak, there's the willful. Those who just, you know what? They don't care what the Bible says. They're going to do whatever it is they want to do. Now, there is, I believe here, an indication that these people, because he says, but you, beloved. So he's changed the subject matter here. Uh, He's changed who he's talking about here. And then in the same sentence, he brings in these folks that we're talking about. So I have to believe that there's a sense here where at least a few of them have been saved. They've been saved by God's grace. But they have come under the influence of corrupt teaching. Corrupt teaching leads to corrupt living. So, as you would write to the people he's writing to, there's, there is something needed for us in the day in which we live. And I believe he mentions it here in the 22nd verse. Discernment. Discernment. You have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's in you. You were saved because you heard the Word of God, and the Spirit of God drew you to the Word of God as being truth. There needs to be, in our world, our Christian world especially today, a discernment of what is truth and what is error. Because I'm going to tell you something. I've heard false teachers teach, and it is so close, so close, that if you're not grounded in God's Word, it it makes a lot of sense to you. Oh, man, I never thought about that before. Doesn't it? That that, that thin line. But you know what? Do you know know who you are imitating when you do that? The devil himself. The devil came to Jesus in his temptation. Doesn't the Bible say? But what did he do? He just, he changed a little bit. Over in the book of Genesis, when the serpent came to Adam and Eve, here's what he said. He said to her, listen, didn't God say that you're not to eat of that fruit or touch it? Now, some of you go, well, what's wrong with that? The fact of the matter is God didn't say don't touch it. False teaching will always add something to or take something away take something offensive away, or try to give an explanation of why it shouldn't be so offensive. And so we have this false teaching. We have this scarce commodity of, of discernment, knowing what's true, knowing what's not true. How, how can people become deceived? deceived? Well, you got that last week. They're not keeping themselves. They're not building their themselves up on their most holy faith. They're not praying in the Holy Spirit. They're not keeping themselves in the love of God. They're not looking for the second coming. They have been deceived. Now, there's a passage of Scripture, and I want to say this to you believers because I know a lot of you know a lot of people who, who are kind of in, in, in the conditions that we're going to be talking about this morning. Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 30 says, He, this King James Version, he that winneth souls is wise. Okay? Let me give you a little bit better translation. He 
who seeks to win souls must be wise. Puts it in a pretty different context there, doesn't it? He who wins souls is wise, yes. But he who would seek to win souls must be wise because of the deception, because of all those things that are out there. Here's the way James chapter 5 and verse 20 puts it. He, the man, the man which converts a sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall cover a multitude of sins. I don't think he's talking about lost people. Now, we're not going to go into it. We don't have time for it, okay? Bill, you know where I'm headed with this. Here's the fact of the matter. There is, there is a sense in which man is a trichotomy, which means he is spirit, soul, and body. Spirit being that part of him that, that makes that God connection. That part of him that is dead when he comes into the world. It is that spirit in him that the Holy Spirit speaks to that wakens him to the knowledge of God. Okay? Let me just say something real quick. If our spirit, the God part of us, the God conscious awareness part of us, is not touched by God Himself, all we have just done is just sang some songs. The soul is that personality part of us, that, that part that makes us who we are. It's, it's, it's where our will is. It's where, it's where all of these uh, character traits and personality traits come from. And the soul, the soul affects the flesh. And if the soul is dirty... The sinful acts of the flesh will be dirty. Am I making sense? So the spirit must control the soul, which must control the flesh. That's what, that's what all this is. So if, if, if we, you come into a situation where you go, well, God is transcendent. God is unknowable. God is way out there. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> but when that unknowable, transcendent, bigger than me, God touches my spirit then worship takes place. That's where worship happens. Worship happens in my God consciousness, not in my, not in my flesh and not in my soul. Because my soul can send some mixed messages. Now look at this. In that context, read that. I'm getting hot. Read that in, the, in this context, okay? No, that's good. Read that in this context. The man who converts... Someone from the error of his ways shall save a soul from death. Did you know there's a condition? If you're here this morning, you know Jesus is your Savior. You've gone so far away from God that you can possibly go. That God will take you out of here. Leave. Bring him on home. Let the flesh be destroyed. 
My daddy used to do that a lot. lot. We'd get out in the yard and we'd fuss and we'd fight. He'd tell us, don't do that, stop that. You can't do that anymore. If you guys don't behave, I'm gonna, you're going to come in. There's, there are times my daddy would have to call me into the house and make me sit down and be still because I didn't know how to behave. I believe with all of my heart that is a biblical principle that if you continue, if you know Jesus, if you continue to go wayward in your sin, there will come a time when God will say, come on up here so I can keep you out of trouble. He who converts a sinner from the error of his ways shall save a soul from death and shall cover a multitude of sins. You know what? If you come back to, we don't know where that sin is going to carry you, but I'm going to tell you what, it has a rippling effect. It goes on and on and on. And James said, listen, you reach out there and you convince an old boy that he's wrong. You, you, by the word of God, convince him that he needs to repent and turn and change his way of life. You have covered over all of these sins that he might have committed if you would continue to let him go through what he's going through. I know this is some heavy stuff. I, I get that it is. So what are we going to do? Well, I think there are... I think there are three people here specifically he's talking to. First of all, I call the first one the argumentative disputer. The argumentative disputer. On some have compassion using discernment. Convict them while you dispute with them. You say, well, it's not. You know, we, we just shouldn't be arguing with people uh, about the Bible. The fact of the matter is, you're not arguing with them. You're just telling the truth. Th- those, those, those who can be rebuked, how many times has the Holy Spirit even rebuked you? Or somebody else rebuked you and said, listen, man, you just, you know what? you're not living like you used to. You're not doing like you used to do. What, what, what's the deal? That's kind of a rebuke. As a matter of fact, God does. God chastens us in two ways. You know what? He rebukes us. You get caught in some sin, and you become ashamed, and you know you've done wrong. And all of a sudden, you, you, you just you come face-to-face with God, and you go, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. My, my, my daddy did it this way, with a look. I, I got it. My mom and dad... They, they, they believed in discipline. They really did. But they knew how each of our personalities were. With, with me and my sister, it just took a look sometimes. And, and we knew. With my older brother, it took a stick of dynamite at times. And poor old Jeff never had a chance my fondest, rem- uh, my, my fondest memory of us being in church together is those little church doors that were veneer and they were hollow. And, and my mother beating my brother behind those doors and everybody in the church heard it. And when she would do that, she got more amens than the preacher did preaching the sermon. Rebuking. Rebuking kind of got my, my attention and my sister's attention. 
Chastening was the only thing that could get my brother's attention on each end of us. Right, Jeff? Sometimes just had to take a whipping. Sometimes enough was enough. So you've got these people, they are, they are disputing. But here's the fact of the matter is, ladies and gentlemen, you can't talk anybody. You can't talk any, anybody into changing. You, you dispute with them, but you let the Holy Spirit do what he does. Holy Spirit's the only one can change a life. Holy Spirit's the only one can touch, touch a spirit and move a spirit inside of a man. As a matter of fact, the Holy Spirit's the only one that knows anything about the spirit that's in a man. And he says that we have all sinned. It, it, it's not good enough anymore just to stand off and stand off to the side and say, well, it's just a sign of the times. Jude is saying to us, make a difference. Make a difference. Make a difference. Go after those people. Have compassion on them by rebuking them with the Word of God. William Kelly, I think, rightly says, Christ is generally represented with a halo about his head. And the apostles, too, as if every man fell submissive at their feet. But that is just what the imagination does. People don't realize all the terrible evils they had to be... All the terrible evils that was faced by them, and how much more then, because of that, should we expect it to? People just didn't fall down when Peter and them came by. They were hated by a whole lot more folks than they were liked. So what do we do? We take the Word of God. We, we know that there's somebody who's gone astray. We just take the Word of God, and we, with the work and the help of the Holy Spirit, just present, present the Word of God, and as James says, show them the error of their way. Now, look, you know what? You may be disappointed when you walk off. Because 99 out of 100 may just spit in your face. But that one, that one, you have saved a soul from death and you have covered a multitude of sins. All right? So that's the first group. The second group are those who are dangerously or seriously in danger. Look at what he says here. That others save with fear while pulling them out of the fire. Now, Matthew Henry says that we are to go to a sinner. We are to endeavor to frighten them out of their sin and, and out of hell and damnation and bring them into the kingdom. I'm going to tell you what, hell, damnation preaching is pretty good. I don't care how you get to heaven. I don't care if you're scared out of hell, whatever it is. The fact of the matter is, whatever gets you in. But I don't think that's who he's talking about here. He's talking about those who have gone so far into sin that they're on the verge of suffering God's judgment. God's chastening, if you want to call it that. You can sit here this morning and you can be in your sin and you can say, well... You know what? God's not doing anything to me, and I've been living in this sin for a long, long time. Well, the fact of the matter is you may not have ever been saved. Because God says, those whom I love, I rebuke. And chasten all of my children. 
If you're a child of God, I'm telling you, and you have sin in your life, or you have had sin in your life in your past, you're going to get a whipping or you got one. It happens. It could be in all kinds of different areas. It could be in physical ailments. It could be emotional instability. It could be, it could be laying awake at night. It could be looking, looking at your... Um, Looking at your sin like David did over in Psalm 51, and a good translation of that when he says, my sin is ever before me, here's what the translation, um, uh, a paraphrase says, David prayed this prayer to God, my sins are staring me down. You, you, ever, you ever had your sin stare you down? You think you can run away from you, you try to hide, you, you try to flinch, but you know what, I'm going to tell you what, the gaze of those sins are on you. A man by the name of Thomas Manton once said, When a fire is kindled in a city, we don't say coldly, Yonder's a great fire. He said, I pray, God, that it doesn't harm anybody. In times of public defection, we are not to read tame lectures of contemplative divinity. And listen, here's what I would say. In times of public defection, in times of living in sin, we are not to read tame lectures or contemplate divinity. Forget about the devotionals. Get out the Bible. Some of you, let me just say this, some of you substitute your daily Bible reading for a devotional that gives you somebody's opinion about what the Bible says. Don't you? I've read this great devotion. I, I don't, I'm not in the habit of... Because uh, uh, you know what? There's, there, there, are some good, there, there is some good stuff out there. There really is. Somebody called me one day and said, Hey, man, I read this in my devotional this morning. And I thought it's it quite an interesting statement. What do you think? I didn't text back. I picked up the phone and made a call. And here's what I said. Sounds good, and it may be true, but the Bible just doesn't say that. In times of, of walking away, in times of drifting, lest we drift. Remember Hebrews? We studied through Hebrews. Lest we drift. In times of drifting, we don't need some little bitty um, um, uh, comment that we've read on Facebook or somebody's posted on Instagram, we need to open the Word of God and find out what the Word of God says about a matter and do that. We read in Genesis chapter 19 and verse 16 about Sodom and Gomorrah. And you, you, you remember Lot was living there. And um, Lot lingered. Can you imagine now angels come and they tell you, listen, you got to get out of the city. Destroy. The city's going to be destroyed. You need to get out. Okay? Angels. Angels. Y'all hear me? Angels. Why would you not look at that and go, these guys are serious. We've got to get out of here. Let me tell you how Lot was living. So Lot goes to his sons-in-laws and his daughters. And he says to them, listen, you've you got to get out of the city. Judgment's coming. God's sending judgment. 
He's going to burn this place down. You need to get out of here. You know what? You know what? You know what they said about him? They laughed at him. They laughed at him because they thought he was mocking. You know, his life had been lived in such a way that when it came time for him to sound the alarm, they wouldn't listen. Live your life in such a way that when you say to a person that you're, you're, you're trying to talk to and trying to get them to change their ways, that when you look at them and when you say to them, here's what the Bible says, they will believe you. There is a responsibility in the Christian life that we all have to follow the ways of the Scripture, to follow the ways. You know, God didn't give us a Bible to, to make us miserable. He gave us a Bible to kind of give us direction. Thomas Manton says, we are to be in action, debating the Word of God, and at the same time, snatching those that need snatched to the truth. And you have Lot over here, and he's lingering. He's lingering. The Bible says an angel had to grab him. And drag him out of the city. Can I ask you a question? Are some of you sitting here today lingering over your sin? You know it's sin. You know it's contrary to God's will for your life. Yet there's just something about your sin you like. And you just don't want to give it up. And you're lingering and you're lingering and you're lingering. The fact of the matter is, ladies and gentlemen... Fire and brimstone did fall on Sodom and Gomorrah. Judgment is coming. And it may be now and it may be later, but I'm going to tell you what. If you're, if you're reveling in that sin and living in that sin, then you're in a heap of trouble. Someone once said it this way. We should preach the gospel as though Jesus died yesterday rose today and is coming tomorrow. It's that urgent. It is that urgent. The time's short. The fires of apostasy are already here. Folks, I'm telling you, I've heard, I've heard it all my life. If God doesn't judge America, he'll have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. All right. So let's look at, lastly of all, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. I call these the sinfully degraded. The sinfully degraded. These are the people you can't argue with. These are the people, they are so sinfully degraded, they won't listen to arguments, they can't be convinced, they can't be snatched. But they are to be pitied. They are to be pitied. By us. But you need to pity him cautiously. You need to pity him cautiously. I can't help but think about people that I've talked to a lot in my life. Let me just give you a great example. Any of you got know a guy by the name of Bob Harrington? I've heard Bob Harrington. 
those of us who are older know who Bob Harrington is. Bob Harrington was the known as the pastor of Bourbon Street. Pastor of Bourbon Street. And, and Bob Harrington spent his time most in New Orleans downtown preaching to the prostitutes and bringing people to Christ. There came a time when Bob Harrington set up a meeting to go meet with a young lady. And he said sometime later in something that he wrote that said, I went to win her, but she wound up winning me. Young people, listen to me very carefully. Listen to me very carefully. You're not going to win your friends hanging out where they hang out, doing what they do, acting like they act. Chances are you'll be the one that will be won. I have seen it over and over and over again. When you go fishing, you don't jump in the water unless you're noodling. And I'm going to tell you what, if you're a Christian noodler, you're going in the darkest, deepest, dirtiest places of society. I used to say, well, the only way to fish is stay in the boat. No, you can get out and noodle. But I'm going to tell you, you can't noodle and not get, not get dirty. You've got to be careful. You've got to be on your guard. You, you, you can't do what everybody else is doing. You can't listen to the false teachers out there that, that say, well, you know what? It doesn't affect anybody else. You won't get hooked on that. Just try it once. Sounds logical, doesn't it? Here's what James says. You take that lunge, and before you know it, you're hooked. And then the fight's on. Can I just say to y'all young people, Keep yourself pure. Keep yourself chaste. Keep yourself built up on your most holy faith. Keep yourself in the love of God. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Look for the second coming. Avoid the messages of the world out there that it's okay. It's not going to hurt anybody. It's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt your family. It's going to hurt your friends. It's going to hurt those people around you. Think about this for a moment. You say, well, 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 you know, it's, it, it's just a small sin. Let me say something to you. Every sin that was ever committed, Jesus didn't just see it. Jesus felt it. And I'm going to tell you what, Jesus wouldn't say to you, it's just a small thing. Jesus Christ would say to you, I died for that. I did that for you. And you're going to spit in my face? God, help us to be people of conviction. God, help us to be people who are concerned and have a concern about others. But the fact of the matter is, if we want to go snatch them, we got to be careful. Use that discernment. Because I'm going to tell you something. The best thing you can do for them is praying in the Holy Spirit. The old Puritans were very educated. Paul, I know you read the old Puritans sometime. The old Puritans were, man, they were intellectuals. And, and they would bring messages. I mean, Jonathan Edwards 
would write his sermons out. He would, he would just read his sermons for a whole hour. Because he, and, and he, emotionless, because he didn't want to take anything away from the work of the Spirit. So a lot of folks today would say, well, well, that's a dead service. No, it wasn't. It was a message that was birthed by the Holy Spirit, that was cried over, that was prayed over, that was presented in the power of the Holy Spirit, not in the power of the preacher. And it was said of Puritans. That even when they were preaching those messages, messages a lot of people sitting there couldn't understand, would turn his back on his congregation, lift his hands and say, Oh, Holy Spirit, do your job. Because they knew and understood that it was only by the power of God that anybody's life and anybody's heart was going to be changed. Verse 23 talks about the sinfully degraded. We are to cautiously pity them. We ought to realize that we can be contaminated by their garments that are even spotted by the flesh. Now, let me show you something. Let me tell you. I've got to show you this. I know. Look, I know. Turn to Zechariah with me just for a minute. Zechariah chapter 3. I want to show you something. I want to show you something here. Now, Joshua is the high priest in this passage, but Joshua is representing the whole nation of Israel. Okay? So when the high priest stood before God, he was standing there representing the... The children of Israel. The children of Israel had sinned. The children of Israel had gone after other gods. The children of, God, uh, of Israel had, had forgotten God, that they were God's people. And now God calls Joshua before him. It's almost as if, the whole, if you can picture this, the whole nation of Israel is standing before God. Then he showed me Joshua, this angel that is speaking to Zechariah. He showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. Who's the angel of the Lord? I think it's Jesus. He said, well, Jesus was born on December 25th, the year zero. No, he wasn't. There was never a time when Jesus was born. Jesus took on flesh. He came to this world is a little baby, but the fact of the matter is, the Bible says before anything existed, he was. You remember when he was talking to his disciples, before Abraham was, I am. Basically, what he was saying is, I, I had no beginning. He has no beginning, he has no end. And, and now, Joshua is standing before him, representing the children of Israel. You've got to see this. Let me tell you how God looks at your life right now. You, you may think, man, you got it all cleaned up on the outside. Everything's great. The fact of the matter is, is that now... Standing at his right hand is Satan to accuse him. Can I say something to you? Listen to me. If you are living in sin and you're a child of God, Satan is standing before the Father today accusing you. So, well, that's not true. It is right here. Read Job. Where have you been? Walking throughout the earth. So you have the Lord, you have, you have Joshua standing before the Lord. You have Satan there standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the fact of the matter is, he's probably not lying about him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord rebuke you. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebukes you. 
Is this not a burning brand taken out of the fire? He doesn't, he's not pulling them out of hell. He, they're in the middle of judgment. And God has promised that he's going to bring them out. He's going to bring them back into their land. And he's going to do that someday. As a matter of fact, they're going back by the millions right now. But look at this. Now, Joshua had on filthy garments representing Israel. Now, I'm going to try my best to clean this up the best I can. Okay? So you've got God looking at Joshua, and he says he's standing there in filthy garments. Basically, the high priest wore two types of garments. They wore a, a linen, white linen undergarment. Some people might call it underwear. I don't know. But, but it was a white linen undergarment, and then they would wear their priestly robes on top. You may be cleaned up on the outside. You may think you've got it all together and God didn't see, but I'm going to tell you what, God's not talking about the outer garments here. He's talking about that inward garment. And did you know? You probably didn't know. You probably don't know this. I didn't know it either until I studied it this week. When he uses the word filthy garments here, he is seeing garments that are covered with feces. That's what it means. You think when God looks at you that everything's okay with Him? Your sin's all right. It's just a little thing. It's not affecting anything. God looks right inside of you. That may very well be that soul that we're talking about, that soul that's so dirty, that gets so dirty that it just blocked out any, any idea of who God is. God looks and He, and he says, and he's standing there. He's got filthy garments on. If, you're, if you are here this morning living in sin or know somebody who is, when God looks at you, that's what he sees. Now look at this. And he said to those standing before him, take off those filthy garments. The fact of the matter is, ladies and gentlemen, is this. If you're going to clean up, God's got to be the one to do it. You can't clean yourself up. You can't get rid of the, the, the filth and the defilement in your life by just making a decision you're not going to do it. God's got to do something in you. God says, take off his filthy garments. Now look at this. Then he said, see, I have removed from you your iniquity. I have cleaned you up. I will clothe you with rich robes. And I said, let him place a pure turban on his head. So they put a pure turban on, uh, turban on his head and the garments on him, and the angel of the Lord was standing by. So, well, Gary, I, I don't know what to do. I'm living in sin. I don't know what to do. You know what? You just got to come before God and go, clean me up. When you got saved, you were clothed in a rich garment, all right? It's called the righteousness of Christ. When you got saved, you traded in your old garment of sin and the flesh. Jesus took that and he gave you a robe of righteousness. But the inside has a tendency to get dirty sometimes. It just does. And eventually what's dirty on the inside is going to become dirty on the outside. Y- y'all with me? So, so look, this, this, this is serious stuff. It, it, it really is. This is serious stuff. 
So, so I'm going to end. I'm going to end that just by saying this. And I've asked Kirk to do this for me. So you, y'all just come on. Let's get ready. Because we're going to sing a song this morning that ought to be the prayer of everybody who's here this morning living in some sin. Listen, I'm going to tell you what, we don't care what it is. We're not taking notes. We're not going to talk about you when church is over. But I'm going to tell you something. We're going to sing a song this morning we used to sing a long time ago. And the second verse goes like this. I have wasted many precious years. Now I'm coming home. Can I ask you to come home this morning? Just come home. Just come home. You know, I think that's what happened to the prodigal. If he could have gotten word, if he could have sent a text, whatever it was, he would have sent something to his daddy and gone, man, I've just wasted all these years. I've wasted my substance on riotous living. What do I do? And I can hear his father as he 